0: Welcome to The Closed Session, How to Get Paid in Silicon Valley, with your host, Tom Chavez and Vivek Vidya.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of The Closed Session. This is Tom.
0: Hi, I'm Vivek. Tom, do you know this
1: is our fifth episode this season? Our fifth episode this season and the first one face-to-face in a long while. That's right. seven months. That's right. Very exciting. Listeners.
0: Tom and I are sitting across from each other, six feet-ish apart, but we're not in our homes right now,
1: as we have been for the past many episodes we recorded. It was very strange for me to re-encounter Vivek in his three-dimensional form. It felt a little socially awkward, but we got we got past it, right? We got through it, that's right. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, and we're not, all of us aren't back in all the ways we would like to be right now, but we're kachunking through. These paces, lots of social distancing going on in San Francisco. But uh, but yeah, just feels a couple of us have been in the office carefully working on a couple of things we've discovered, right? There are some really important things that you just can't get done on a Zoom.
0: That's right. The first few months of the, of the pandemic where we were all at home, I was like, yeah, this is great, you know, we're getting work done and whatnot. But now I just craved interacting with people in, in 3D. And, uh, and yeah, you're right. Like the meetings we had on Tuesday where we actually got a whole lot done would have been difficult to do over Zoom in the time that we got it done.
1: Yet. Yeah, and that's not the, the main topic for this closed session. Maybe we should make it a, a future topic, but it is interesting, right, where you have all of these companies who are now declaring that p- people can work wherever they want to work forever and ever. Amen. Okay, I, I do wonder... To your point about the meetings that we had the other day, I just, there's no feasible way for us to punch through and, and do the things that we were doing on a Zoom.
0: No, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. Because yeah. we made little use of the whiteboard. And uh, even if we used this fancy Jamboard that we have in your house, like it wouldn't have been that
1: productive. But Lisa's important V is people like me who work with you for a long period of time we need to see your body language we need to see yeah. your, your BDI's your thousand yards stare all the little tells and cues yeah. like that's that's half of the joy
0: yeah you never miss an opportunity to talk right. about my BDI's and thousand yard stares in, in part because you don't do it enough these days
1: that's true that's true. right i don't for listeners you know sometimes Vivek when he thinks you're bleeding from the head and saying something hopelessly not smart he has these tells 1,000 yards there. Mm-hmm. That's right. BDIs. And I understand, I know we're, we're digressing now, aren't we? But I understand that your family agrees with me. that, oh, yeah. that It's a real thing. I, it's, I'm not making this up. It's a real but I only do. Okay. I only right. do. That's right. That's good. Hey, so let's talk about um, big tech and regulation. That is the topic we wanted to take up today it's fraught. It's very charged and timely, right? Because the drums are beating for big tech right now. And it is interesting for us, right? Because of the companies that we built and the things that we do, uh, we're not Google, we're not Facebook, but we've been all around that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a pretty informed view of what's, what's at stake, what data is flowing, where, how do those large companies Gain the sort of unassailable advantages they've gained through data. Mm -hmm. Even the ones who disavow. I think I read an interview with with Jeff Bezos recently where he said, I I don't know what these people are talking about with data. I've never conceptualized Amazon as a data company. And I I heard that and I just thought, oh, come on now.
0: Really? Jeff Bezos says Amazon is not a
1: data company, the company that pioneers the, the recommendation algorithm. He vigorously denied the suggestion of that Amazon was a data driven company. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Then. Well, look, um, whatever they say, uh, we think that, you know, we have again, a pretty informed view and I will start it off with a provocative assertion that anytime you hear Google and Facebook talking about, we want to do something because, because we, we very attentive to user privacy. We're making this move because it's good for privacy you know, some serious nonsense is afoot. Yeah, and I used a polite word there because I had yes. another word in my head that I didn't say. Abs- we'll call it nonsense. Your
0: restraint is remarkable, Tom. Admirable. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah, you. but no, I think you're right. I think the the companies like Google and Facebook get away with a lot
1: under the mantle of of user privacy. But so let's dig into that. What do you
0: mean specifically?
1: Tom? Okay, so so let's start with this announcement. So if you're aware of this uh, big move that Google made to basically extinguish the third-party cookie from the Chrome browser, Mm -hmm. which is something that Safari had already done. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what that means in the simplest possible language for people who are not web data geeks like us. What does that mean?
0: Yeah, so the simplest way to kind of understand that, right, is when you interact with a website, when you go to visit a website, the website has the option of storing something in your browser that they use to remember you the next time you came, right? So this is how, When remember, if, if you if you go to Amazon.com and you add stuff to your shopping cart and you close your browser and three days later you come back, it still shows you, you have four items in your cart, right? That is done through a first-party cookie. It's done through what's called a cookie and it's a first-party
1: cookie because Amazon is the first-party you, the consumer, and they set the cookie for you. Good. So in your example, I am in a direct relationship with amazon.com. Correct. Okay. Correct. And that's first part. And that's first party. Okay.
0: Now, now, you know, if you are, if you've been browsing the internet for the last how many years, ads are something that you just can't get away from, right? So when you go to a site like the New York times or the BBC or the wall street journal, or any of these sites read the news, you see ads, those ads are served through a, complex workflow of requests going out from here to there to everywhere. And in, as a pro, in, in, through that process, a lot of entities, you, end up, you as a consumer end up interacting with a lot of entities unknowingly. And those entities are called third parties. Okay. And every time you interact with those, meaning your browser interacts with those, those entities get the opportunity to set
1: a cookie again, just like Amazon did. That's right. And those cookies are considered third-party cookies. Okay, so those third parties are basically piggybacking their way into your browser uh-huh. on the back of somebody who's driving the caboose. Correct. At first party. Correct. Usually, that's happening through an ad call. An ad call. Yeah. Yeah. But there are other ways. It's not just an ad Correct. call.
0: Correct. Sometimes it happens because because these publishers have marketing partnerships. Right, so we ran, uh, We were part of a company called Crux, and Crux was a data management platform. We were a service provider to publishers like the New York Times and BBC and others. And in that context, we were we were setting a cookie too, and we were a third party,
1: but we were providing a service to New York Times. There you go. Now, since you're going back to olden times, I used to get a lot of people really grumpy at me because I'd write these bl- blistering posts talking about those third parties who were sort of showing up, skimming, stealing, mm-hmm. borrowing data on the back of that first party you mentioned. Correct. So it was irritating because I go to New York Times and I think I'm in communion with New York Times. I used to liken it to going to somebody's house for a party. And then suddenly, you know, 20 other unknowns showed up and are drinking all of the, all of the beer yeah. And they didn't bring any beer themselves. They're right. just total freeloaders. Right. right. So those those were the sketchy characters that we used to have a lot of strong feelings about and still do. Right. Right. Because they were setting cookies as well. Correct. In you as so they're collecting data on you, but you, the consumer, have no idea.
0: You have no idea. But right. but I think I think the other thing to kind of remember and understand about all this is that this somewhat sketchy, complicated ecosystem exists because of, uh, for a reason, right? It exists because of how the internet advertising ecosystem works and how browsers work and how first parties, third parties, cookies, et cetera, all work together, right? Right. So the ecosystem has been created for a long while now, and it's created all these problems of tracking
1: and pixels and all that kind of good stuff which is why we are where we are now. Slightly relevant, sidebar, little factoid. Most people don't remember, but good old Mark Andreessen, when he was a pup, along 25,000 years ago at Mozilla, right, was the inventor of the cookie. That's pack. right. So the cookie was a useful thing, right, because it, it, it gave the browser a way of creating persistence, right? And Correct. the origin of the cookie was... I'm going to shop for something. I'm going to click into another browser or, or, or another window. I want this. I want Amazon. Media. Yeah, I want yeah. Amazon. to know like, that's me. That's what I had on my shopping Correct. cart. Okay, so it wasn't all bad, but it started to morph into lots of sketchy kinds of use cases. We had big feelings about it. Fast forward to now. So Safari had deprecated or had extinguished third-party cookies. Correct. Right? Correct. So, I don't. When was that? Five to eight years ago? Yeah, they
0: started. They started a long while back, and, and then it, since they started this war against cookies, I think I, I guess I can call it a war, uh, five seven years ago, right. and it kind of, it's kind of unfolded now into even they they've imposed all sorts of restrictions on first party cookies even, right? right? Um, and so the whole idea being that Safari wants to give as much control to the consumer as possible. Right now, it's not that consumers didn't have control earlier. You could always go into your browser yeah. and clear your cookies, right? But nobody did that, right? And
1: that's the and that's why Apple decided to take this drastic step. Is like we're going to decide for you, right? So big Big mm-hmm. Papa is going to make that decision for you. You can feel you know, some people might view that as a benefit. Others who yeah. don't know what the, what was at stake for marketers and advertisers. Mm-hmm. Is suddenly, all of the data that they were using to target you, and in many cases to give you more of what you want, to remember what you had in your shopping cart, or you know, those kinds of good things were out the window, at least for Safari users, right? Yeah, yeah. And
0: Especially one in a world where the service was being provided by a by a third party. That's right.
1: Yeah. Now, so Google, some years later, yeah, just recently, decides, hey, or after they've achieved unassailable market share correct. of the Chrome browser, correct. right? Correct. decides we're going to deprecate the third party cookies. So, correct. They wrap themselves in the mantle of privacy because we're gonna, like Apple, we're gonna decide for you, Mr. Consumer, which, you know, to to preserve your privacy. Let's talk about the unintended consequences or sort of the action at a distance thing that happens that's really, really great for Google Mm -hmm. and really, really terrible. For For the rest of the the industry. Yes, talk about that.
0: The first thing to remember, right, is Google, while it may appear, is a third party It's really not, right, because guess what, guess what search engine is used by the majority of the world? Google.
1: Bing. Okay, Google. Mm -hmm. You got me. Right? It's Google. It's Google. Right. So I'm in a first party. Anytime you go and you use Google. You go to Google.com, there you have a first party relationship with Google, right there. And so Google now sees you everywhere. That's Right? Right? And so once they they deprecate that third party cookie, Mm -hmm. okay, they they already see you everywhere. So basically, what they've done in that one fell swoop is choked off the oxygen supply, correct, for pretty much everybody else in the ecosystem, correct, correct. All under again, I mean, with the Star Spangled Banner playing in the background, we're doing this for you, You, Mr. Consumer, consumer, because we care deeply about your privacy. Mm -hmm. That's it. And and if you really believe that. I've got a Scottish island. I'm going to sell you for fifty bucks. Yeah. Uh, so 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 fast forward to I think it was what two weeks ago. There's this remarkable yeah. hearing in the Senate, and you and I have been tracking this for a long time. Mm-hmm. It was written about in the Wall Street Journal. It's easily it's a easily uh, Googleable article. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so go find it. And because we were reading it, we were both agog, like holy guacamole senators now remember when uh, zuckerberg goes uh and is questioned mm. and two years ago two, right right, well, yeah, two two years years ago. right. Wow. yeah and you have senators asking questions like and they think they're really clever and they're going to really punch through with an incisive question if you know tell me mr zuckerberg if you just run these posts and so on and do all of these things how how are you even making money senator we serve ads. Exactly. <laughs> That's what he said, right? Three, le- three, three words. We run ads. And then he falls back in his chair. Yeah. Okay. It was not the best time for that senator or, or his, his colleagues, right? Because they're asking really naive, stupid questions, mm-hmm. right? Can we just say it like that? No, I think we can. Pretty hopeless. Right. Suddenly, two weeks ago, the senators have obviously been coached and I wonder if Galloway or others in New because somebody showed up and gave them a tutorial because they're asking very meaningful, really relevant questions yeah. now, along the lines of what we're talking about, yeah. which now cuts to the, this concern about privacy, antitrust, right? Mm-hmm. Competitive mm-hmm. markets. Yeah. So, so let's cut to it now. So if you care, I mean, the, the antitrust criterion that, that we've um, applied to date is hinged on benefit a consideration of benefit to the consumer right so google according to that logic is able to show up and say i don't know what you're talking about we're giving consumers a free service and we're making we're creating transparency across the internet so consumers are benefiting in all of these ways and it's that's not happy talk right there's zero. it's It's absolutely true. true So, if the only thing that you care about in the context of antitrust is consumers and and price advantages for consumers, because that's the origin of that of that uh, you know that framework, then Google's probably in the clear. Okay. But if you care about competitive markets, mm-hmm. right, and this is what the senators were pushing at in their questions, well, no, there, there's there's an antitrust concern here. Can you speak more of about to? you know, with the nature, yeah, yeah. what's at stake, who's dying, who, you know, how are they getting choked up?
0: Yeah, so I think this, the first thing to kind of realize is that is that in the advertising, and let's let's forget search for a minute, right, because search, Google, Google, I think we can safely say Google is a monopoly, right? Uh, but let's talk about advertising or, or very specifically display advertising even, right, what happens when you go to the ads you see when you go to a new site like NewYorkTimes.com I don't know whether people realize, most people realize this, but Google owns both the publishing side of the ad-serving business and the marketing side of the ad-serving business. So what what do I mean by that? The ad server that is used by a publisher. Like New York Times. Like New York Times. Is Google's, Google Ad Manager. The ad server that is used by a marketer, Nike or Kellogg's, is Google double-click for marketers, also on both sides, right? Now, you might ask, why do you need two types of ad servers? Well, the types of problems that those ad servers solve are different, right? Because on the publisher side, you are trying to figure out how do you get the publisher the most amount of money given the ads you have to serve. And on the marketer side, you have to figure out, well, I need to serve an ad to this user What's the best ad that's going to get me the engagement I want from this user? So the right. metrics are slightly different,
1: right? And uh, so... It's a remarkable model, but let's just also extend that now briefly because going back to the Wall Street Journal many years ago, I remember Google had like this pizza slice article where they showed the slivers of the empire, which things mm. like YouTube. Mm. So now, now we're outside of double, double-click for marketers, double-click right. for publishers, there's YouTube android yeah. Yeah. users okay yeah. it's fast right and they had said with a lot of fanfare we will these these pizza slices that you see in this picture will never be connected correct we will never let one set of users to be in one of those slices to be seen by the other. i will, we won't have google double click for marketers see and be able to interconnect with youtube that's right registered or logged in youtube users that's, that's right, right. That is also out the window. That is out the window completely. Right.
0: Yeah. So so now you start to see you start to see this this thing build up where where Google through its the wide range of businesses it operates, which people think operate in silos, like underneath all that is is, is a consistent set of identities that are all in some way, shape, or form connected. And, and we haven't actually talked about another asset that they have, which, which plays into all of this, which is Gmail.
1: Oh, my goodness. Right?
0: So everybody now, I think, has a Gmail account, has a Google account, because anything that to do with Google, what do you need? What's the first thing you do? You have to create a Google account. Right? So, so the, the, the antitrust, like, competitive angle on on. Um, is, is meaningful for company builders and new business creators like us, right? And yeah. we, we, I think we have to pay attention to it when any combination of antitrust yeah. is, is being had.
1: And so and what I, I took encouragement from is that the senators were acknowledging, okay, we have, we have publishers and it's not just the New York Times, it's all of the the, the name and lights publishers, the New York Times and the Washington Post and, and so on. But it's all of the torso publishers, yeah. right? Um, all the web destinations that that we all like to go to and see stuff, right? Any kind of ad driven business, and that is what's buttered the bread of ninety nine percent of the publishers out there. Correct. All of those businesses are utterly at the at the mercy mercy of this giant with an unassailable data position, and and it's. It's lights out, it's game over. Mm-hmm. it happened. right There's nothing more to see here. move on. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how we could sort of fix it or ameliorate this mess right at this point, but at least it was encouraging to hear the senators acknowledging, okay, if we care about competitive markets in, in the ad driven ecosystem, you know we, we've we, got to, we to address this. It. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, I think, I think the the one way to kind of see a path through all this maze, right, is that to recognize that, is to list down, okay, for businesses to be built in the advertising space, right, in online advertising, right, if, you, if we accept that advertising is here to stay as a means of generating revenue for online businesses like publishing, right, how can we, what are the technologies that need to be created which will, which will allow new businesses to be created, and, fo- and, and not only is created, but for them to foster. Like, right. We can't have, to your point about Google, kind of everybody being at the mercy of Google, you can't have Google saying, oh, no, you can't do any of this because I won't make the data available to you. And, or I will do it. Uh, I'm the only person that can do That's it.
1: right. And why? Because I care about user privacy. It's, it's a trump card that they will play at any minute. By the way, we're saying it's a longer conversation but that theme that you're identifying recurs it plays on now yeah. in in 2020 with new companies who are trying to interoperate in, in the marketing system and now because third-party cookies are dead basically it what it, be. are about are about to be good it requires everybody to come to, yeah to Google right. and, and Facebook
0: Right and yeah, and I was just going to say that we've been we've been focused on Facebook, Google, but Facebook has a similar set of issues right. uh, around around uh, data ownership, data use, data access, data protection, and whatnot. Where they will not make data available. Right. Uh, but but they don't have a good track record record of protecting it in the first place. Right. Uh, Cambridge Cambridge Analytica comes to mind. Right.
1: And and so but they also get away with a lot under the banner of okay, user privacy. But- Let's talk. So let's talk about somebody else who cares a lot about privacy. Mark Zuckerberg cares deeply about privacy. Yeah, I just yeah. said that with a kind of a straight face. You did. You did. You have yeah. a twinkle in your eye. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember vividly years ago. Right? I knew. I knew the game was on. And this was at least eight to ten years ago when Facebook used to have a privacy policy. Nobody can remember those days when mm-hmm. <laughs> they had a privacy policy. And then suddenly you notice that it was airbrushed into something called a data usage Use. policy. Right. And that line was just chiseled away at for years and years, including, not culminating in mm-hmm. Cambridge Analytica, but including Cambridge, Cambridge Analytica yep. and everything that's unfolded since. Talk to me a little bit about what's happened here with WhatsApp recently. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was an article that came out,
0: I think it was in Business Insider, uh, where they talked about uh, all the apps that have been built that, that use WhatsApp data and when i first read the headline i'm like what i didn't even know this you know like i thought whatsapp data whatsapp was like this pristine we're going to protect your privacy two encryption all that kind of good stuff it turns out that the um, your whatsapp status when you go on when you go online when you when you go offline how long do you stay online for that's all public information unless you go and change settings in whatsapp so, what people have done...
1: So, there we go. Let's freeze on that for a minute, though, because the defaults, right? Yeah. That, that 99.9% of consumers are, are blithely unaware of. Yep. Are, make it so that your data is flowing quietly in the background. Correct. In a way that's favorable to Facebook and nobody else, by the way.
0: Yeah, of course. Of course. And so, so now that you have these app developers who've built apps that, that, that you can install on your phone... And, and then because it's on your phone and WhatsApp is on your phone, you can, you can get to see the activity of all of your contacts. And by, by activity, I mean when they go online, when they come offline. Right. So one of the, I found this fascinating, in the article, uh, they said, and this, this app says
1: this on their website, one of the ways in which
0: you can use this is to see if your wife is cheat right.
1: right. And I remember watching. said, so, and this is a good way for parents to spy on their kids That's to right. see where they're going. That's right. That's um, right all kinds of sketchy, uh, under, you know, under, the, under the veil, behind the veil kinds of activities, right, that are enabled here. Again, consumers have no idea. Consumers have no idea,
0: yeah. right? And, and so, so this team this kind of just continues, right, with these big companies uh, who own these data assets, uh,
1: releasing data uh, in ways that benefit them, but not releasing it when it doesn't. So you and I both watched this Netflix documentary, which we highly recommend called The Social Dilemma. Yes. If you haven't seen it yet, you know, you got to carve out a little time. I thought it was really well done. There are some pieces of it that were eh, a little wobbly and and not so convincing, but on balance, I thought it was a damn good job that they did in explaining how we got here, what's at stake. And fascinatingly, many of the protagonists in the documentary – are people who were there. Yeah, right? they actually built, they built all the
0: software and all the services that they were, uh, that they were critiquing and, and,
1: and uh, uh, examining, I should say. Um, Many of them now wringing their hands, gnashing their teeth, repenting for their contributions to this mess. Yep. Yeah. But you got to admit, it was uh, fascinating at that point in the documentary when they're all asked, so what exactly is the problem? Yeah.
0: They didn't answer that, did they?
1: They all dodge and stutter and hem and haw. Nobody had an answer. So I think what we're trying to do here is contextualize the problem and, and give some breadcrumbs for, as to how the heck we got here, what it means when Google and Facebook, well, first, as you just point out with WhatsApp, the monkey business continues.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? At what point, $5 billion FTC consent yeah. fines paid in full who pays a 5 billion dollar fine yeah. like it's tuesday right. moves on and keeps on doing the kind of thing that we're talking about here with with whatsapp it's fast it's crazy it's egregious yeah. but i guess what we're also trying to do is contextualize you know anytime you see or hear these players saying that they're doing something to protect your privacy put your antenna up correct and be skeptical but let's talk about the problem or what we should do about it cuz you know i think it's safe to say we have some some strong views on Yeah this I think
0: one. I think I think there are a couple of ways to look at what you can what you can do about it right like one is obviously as we discussed it's, it's regulation is is something that uh, will go to a certain to a certain amount to solve solve the problem. I don't think it solves the entire problem. I think there needs to be re examining of, of the the overall framework. You know what why is it that these these apps and these services have been built that really drive the type of behaviors or the engagement that is desired, right? Mm-hmm. So perhaps revenue models need to be examined. Perhaps uh, interaction models need to be examined. But more importantly, I think that the overall our overall conception or understanding
1: of how we view data, Tom, I think needs to be examined, right? Well, but let's let's double click because I, this I'm always worried about the overreaching hand of government coming mm-hmm. into business and setting down stupid laws that actually do more damage than, than good. Back to that Senate hearing, right? I, I was, we were both encouraged by the quality of the right. questions yeah. because it, it was evidence of, okay, we actually have lawmakers who are paying attention and managing some of these finer grain distinctions. So, carefully, I want to put it out there that I think some regulation is appropriate, mm-hmm. right? And carefully executed, carefully designed, you know, data from our vantage point is property. Yeah. Right. So if you look at the evolution of land as property, right, and the way it's managed, you know, there was a time we, we called it the wild, wild west for a reason, right? People and at a time when we didn't understand how vast the United States was to the west in the same way we didn't understand the consequences and implications of data, the way we do now, I mean, yeah. the, the parallel for me is quite striking. What happened, right? You had uh, hustlers and, and renegades and rogues going west and just laying claim to thousands and thousands of acres and and doing you know bad things and killing lots of people, all in the sake, you know, all for the sake of, of land, property rights, laws, statutes, a sovereign sovereign governments, local governments, state governments. It's it's a long and interesting history, and we don't have time to get into it here. But as, you know, property rights were enforced, laws and statutes came into being such mm-hmm. that, that people could protect their land and lay claim to it in a, in a responsible way. Civil manner, yeah. In a, in a civil way. Yeah. Um, property rights are core yeah. for land. Like, we don't question, if I have a house, you don't get to build on my house, that's my house, right? Yeah. We need a similar kind of framework for data. Yeah, Right. And with with that begins from the understanding that data is property. Correct. Privacy is an essential human right. And on that sort of basis, we need to examine these questions. But just if you're sometimes people worry about if you're just a hard nosed, steely capitalist. Right. You should care about property rights for data in the same way you do for your intellectual property in your company, your factories, your land. It's it's an it's an asset. Mm And so we need to have a legal framework that enforces property rights for data. And I think, I think
0: there are, you know, we, I think, you know, much as, much as the world, uh, or at least the, the industry, I should say, uh, doesn't like GDPR, I think, I think GDPR is a step in the right direction because it at least starts to lay out a framework right. that can be used to have the conversation, right? right. And, and, and give users choice, right? Right? Uh, I, I was explaining you know, um, to someone the other day, like when you go to a website, right, and all these trackers start to fire, you don't get any choice about that. What if you did? What if you said that I'm okay with analytics? Like you can use the fact that, oh, you can use my data to count I came to your site, but I don't want my data used out on the wire, used for all sorts of other things, like advertising and all that. I should be given that choice, right? And track shin fire, right? So that's that's a good starting point right. for a framework. Allows me some gives me control
1: that's right. over data, which is my property. Good. So thing one is a new regulatory or legal framework for data yeah. and the property rights therein. Yeah. Thing two, as you're pointing out, is tooling Correct. that allows companies to demarcate and own data in the same way that they demarcate and own land mm-hmm. and other physical assets for consumers to show up in exactly the way that you're describing and assert their rights. You yeah. can use my data for rec- analytics and recommendations, but not for targeting. Mm-hmm. You can use, you can see my location, but not my age. Right. 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 By the way, a lot of the emerging regulatory regimes call for exactly that level of precision that you're talking about. So this isn't mundo beyondo stuff. No, this is happening now. This is happening now, and many don't realize it. It is a net positive thing. GDPR, CCPA has lots of flaws. Maybe we can talk about that in a future podcast. There's going to be some of CCPA on the ballot here in a short Mm -hmm. period of time to to fix those flaws. But GDPR on balance was really quite well considered. It was pretty logical Mm -hmm. in the way that it creates some of the useful distinctions for things called controllers versus processors yeah. and so on. So it was actually a pretty well-conceived uh, framework. And and so if it's supported by tools now yeah. that enable Correct. and enforce the control that, that that framework specifies, hey, then we're really then we're really starting to solve this problem. Yeah,
0: exactly. I, I think, and I think the, the initial angst and and around GDPR was was had a lot to do with the fact that there were no tools, there were no there's no software that had been built that that could be used to ascertain whether someone's complying or not, how to comply, what kind of services to build, how to modify your existing services. None of that existed, right? And and I think that that as we think about you know, moving beyond, even beyond GDPR and adopting some of the ideas you're talking about data as property, you need, you you have to have tooling, software that
1: allows you to do that. And, but of course, you and I like to not just talk about it, but we actually try to do it. That's the point of one of the companies that we've hatched over here at Superset called Switchbit. Yeah. This kind of fabric for control of data, right? wherever it's used however wherever it lies that's the conception for switchbit yes and it pertains to privacy but it's it is broadened very quickly into a larger sort of set of con- concerns around governance yep. right governance and control of data yeah that's the world that we think we're headed to whether we like it or not right some people put their heads in the sand and pretend it's not so okay good luck with that yeah <laughs> Because what's different here now is 10 years ago when you and I used to yammer about this stuff, nobody cared. And there were, there were no regulation. There were no penalties. There were no consequences, right? It, it continues to be the wild, wild West, but at least, you know, there's a couple of sheriffs and a couple of laws and a couple of places now we're not, and we, and we don't need to overregulate this thing either. I want to keep hammering that home, right? A measured, sensible approach, that limits the heavy hand of government, but still attends to, you know, the core concerns around data as property and and privacy as an essential human right. It's within reach. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I I think, I think the, the way to kind of do this is uh, is to get all as representation from all the constituents of the overall ecosystem and then work together to create this, to create the overall governing framework but you're right. I think I think this is not a question of if now, it's a question of when. Uh, and, and the 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 music's but the party's begun, you know, so to speak, to give it a positive spin. The party's begun. You just need to now learn. People who are going to learn how to dance are going
1: to be the ones who are going to be successful in this new regime. Well, so data privacy geeks, wherever you are, rise up. Just know that the future is happening now, and and we all have an opportunity to to play a role and to shape it in, in the way that it needs to be shaped. So this was fun. We covered a lot of ground as it we did usually do. A lot of ground. Yeah, but uh, yeah, there's wood to chop still for sure, but we're making progress. That concludes the closed session. Thanks everybody for listening.
0: Thank you, everyone.